We uh, have been waiting on this day, Easter Sunday, uh, ever since last year. Easter is a very special time. It just happens to fall on April Fool's. How many of you already pulled an April Fool's prank already? How many told a lie to be able to do it? We'll go ahead and get that prayer out of the way so you don't have to feel guilty the whole service. So, Lord, forgive them for that lie in your name. Amen. How about that? (laughs) How to get to heaven. I thought if we're going to give a message today, let's just uh, keep it plain and keep it simple as we um, we understand it. Time Magazine in 1983, this was the headline, Los Angeles is the city of angels, is the city of angels going to hell? Now, that was back in in 1983 or 1993. But here's an interesting question I thought of. The better question is, am, am, am I going to heaven? You know, am I going to heaven? I, I need to know, everybody needs to know, without fear or reservation, the answer to that question. Are you going to heaven? Well, some people would say, well, yeah, you know, I guess. But uh, we're going to talk about well, four steps that can cause you to be affirmed this morning about that relationship. Now, I know that there are a lot of people that uh, apparently are going to hell because I've heard a lot of people tell other people to, you know, go to, you know, where. I've had a few tell me, why don't you go? <laughs> and I thought ever since I met you, I thought that was hell. But anyway, I didn't say that. You know, I, I wouldn't say that, but I, I may have taught it. So I'm asking you forgiveness now. But how do I go to heaven, and why is that important if you were to die today? Some people say, well, I think so. Well, I hope so. I've only run into a few who said, I don't really care. I'll go to hell. It just doesn't matter to me. And oftentimes, that's because that person hasn't met the right circumstance just, just yet. We know that life can be over in a, just a moment, a vapor. You can be seated in a restaurant having coffee or having a bite to eat, and all of a sudden your body feels something, and, and you come to find out that you're facing a life-and-death situation. And it's important to know in a circumstance like that, it happened to my brother. He had a brain aneurysm several, several years ago, just bending over to pick up a piece of paper And the brain aneurysm hit him, and the doctors said, there really is no hope. He probably won't make it, and if he makes it, he'll never be the same physically or mentally. Now, I can report to you that that, he did make it, and I can tell you he has no lingering challenges of that brain bleed by the grace of God. (laughs) Michelle Hunt had an aneurysm. And she lived to tell about it. She was hit with just that moment. She's here with us today in person because this is where she attends church. But she also took the time out to share her testimony in this video. Take a look at it. I've attended Victory Church for eight years now, and I've found a great group of friends here. I go to a small group regularly. I've started working with Circle J during the summer, and I recently started working with um, Extreme Team, and I've also been on a missions trip for Victory, and I feel like I found finally found a place where I belong. This past summer, on June 27th, I was sitting with a friend eating breakfast, and we were just talking, and I started to get a weird pain in my tooth, and it went to my jaw and the back of my head. And I remember I was sitting there listening to her talk, wondering, you know, should I say anything or what should I do because I just don't quite feel right. So I said to Pam, I don't feel good. And instantly um, I turned white as a sheet. She got out her phone and she called 911 um, because she thought I was having a heart attack. Once they got me to the hospital, they began to do a flurry of tests to try to determine what was wrong with me. And it was around lunchtime, so Pam and everyone left to go get something to eat. And I remember I was laying there by myself with my eyes covered, and the doctor walked in, and I remember him saying to me, you just had a brain aneurysm. And I remember screaming, and I said, I had what? Am I going to die? 
and he looked at me and said, you need to calm down, it's important your blood pressure doesn't rise. The doctors and nurses were in trying to keep me calm and make sure my blood pressure wasn't rising. But at that point, a ton of people began arriving, some of my closest friends, and started praying for me. Pastor Josh and Brittany came and prayed for me. Um, Laura and Kristen from my small group showed up and started to pray for me. Um, Pastor Teresa was on a missions trip, and they contacted her. Her and her team began to pray for me. Um, my sister and all my family in South Carolina started to pray for me and they handed the phone to me and my sister was on the phone and she said to me, Michelle, you're going to be okay. And she started to pray for me. Um, after I hung up with her, the nurse even said, I'm a Christian, would you mind if I pray for you? And the number of people that really just began to pray for me right then at that moment was overwhelming. It was decided that I would go to Tampa so that they could do an angiogram there. They couldn't medevac me because of the weather, so they put me in an ambulance to take me. And I remember when I was in the ambulance on the way, two things very clearly went through my mind. The first one was fear of what is going to happen, am I going to be okay? But the second thing was I had this strange peace and I knew that God was with me. So they wheeled me in to get me prepped for the angiogram. And I remember as they were prepping me, um, tears were just streaming down my face. I was wondering if these were my last moments on earth and if I was gonna wake up in heaven. I was so scared, I couldn't even pray for myself. But I knew that other people were praying for me and that was extremely comforting. After the angiogram and I started to wake up, I remember everything was kind of blurry. I was really unsure of my surroundings and I really started to hyperventilate. I started to just freak out. And I remember the nurse, she grabbed my face, she looked into my eyes and she said to me, Michelle, if you can see this ugly face of mine, you're not in heaven, so calm down. And at that point I began to realize, wow, I'm alive, I'm okay. I managed to um, squeak out you know, what's wrong with me, am I okay? And I remember I heard a voice say, you're fine, there is nothing wrong with you. We found absolutely no cause for the brain bleed. I stayed in the hospital for 10 days and on July 6th, I was released to go home and recover. And through the summer, it was a very difficult recovery process. But on February 18th of this year, I went back to the neurologist and I'll never forget the words he said to me when he walked into the room. He said to me, how's my favorite patient doing? The girl that could have died or needed major surgery, but my friend, I did nothing for you and you no longer need to come back. And I remember thinking, you did nothing for me, but God did everything. I'm Michelle Hunt and this is my resurrection story. Michelle's right back over there. God bless you, Michelle. Thank you for sharing that testimony. How many of you believe that? Say amen. amen. You see, you and I can absolutely confidently know that we're going to have an in a moment like that, and that's extremely important. There's some great coaches that uh, we have known in the world, individuals that made their mark. You will recognize the uh, name coach, John Wooden, who, of course, was a famous basketball coach. How many remember him? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of the most famous basketball coaches in history. Uh, he would take the very first day of training when they showed up. That's right, we're getting ready for a new season. And uh, he would say, I want to show you the basics. And he would uh, show them a pair of socks that basketball players wear. In his story, he would take all day long showing players how to put on Socks properly. You might say, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard of. But the more that he talked, he said, these socks will protect your feet. It's hard to shoot with blisters on your feet. It's hard to shoot when there are corns on your feet. It's hard to shoot when your feet are screaming for help, knowing that you've got to put a ball in a hoop about that size from 15 yards away or possibly more for some of you, he said, and what you'll find, these socks will become a valuable asset to your ability to help us win championships. Basic, just basic lessons. 
How about Vince Lombardi? How many remember him, reading about him? Won the first Super Bowl, one of the greatest coaches ever in the world. You can read about him. He, of course, played uh, for the Miami Dolphins. I'm just checking. How about Seattle Seahawks? Well, then what, pray tell, team did he play for? Green Bay Packers. I asked the first audience, how many of you have ever met Vince Lombardi? One guy raised his hand. I called him a liar right then and there. I said, he'd been dead. You never met him. I said, only in your dreams. You're right. (laughs) But at any rate, his first day of practice, get this now, he would walk out with a football. And he said, this is a football. Now, don't you know those guys who are there? They've been playing since they were this high or before. Went through high school, went through college, now wind up on a pro team, and he's standing there saying, this is a football. But here's what we know, that you win championships and you win games because you pay attention to the what? You pay attention to the what? The basics. Now, this message is supposed to last maybe 35 minutes. But with that kind of participation from you, it takes me longer to have to deliver it. So just to encourage me to help me move along, can I get an amen? Amen. First time some of you have said amen forever in church. And you did it for that reason. You already are ready to go. Well, here we go. Back to the basics. What is the basics? Here it is, John 3, 16. Take a look at that scripture, and let's see if we can read it together. Are you ready? Here we go. Everybody on three. One, two, three. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the basics of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I was coming through McDonald's this morning, must have been 5.30, 5.15 or so. And you know, you order there, hope to order at the little microphone thing out there, and then drive on around and they take your money. And I asked the gal there, her name was Teresa. And I said, Teresa, are you going to church today? She said, no, I have to work. I said, so do I, but I'm still going to be able to go to church. She said, you're different. You're different. I thought, I've heard that my whole life. It started with my mother. You're different. I said, well, do you know John 3.16? She said, I think I do. I said, well, now, we're about to have church. I said, this will be your church. Tell me, do you know? She said, For God so loved the world that he gave, I said, his only begotten son. She said, his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe upon him should not, she said, should not perish. And we went through it together. She got most of it. And I said, right there, little girl, I'm going to tell thousands of people this morning at Victory Church and online Give them your name, and you knew, John 3, 16. I thought, that's good. That's the basics. Drove on up to the next window. I said to that individual, do you know John 3, 16? Yeah. Now, some people, you can fake it till you make it, you know. And you know what the most deadly question she was hoping that I would not ask? Don't ask me to repeat it. But you know me. I wanted to give her an opportunity to win. And I said, it starts for God so loved. She said, that's right. I said, that's right. For God so loved the world that she said his son. Well, it took a little more time, but she got it too. And I said, God bless you. But if the whole world believed that basic scripture, 
in our heart, our world would be dramatically different. Just the basics as we understand it. If you take these words, six words, God's only son perish everlasting life and used an acrostic, here's what you get. God's only son perish everlasting life. You get the word gospel. Gospel. That's the gospel truth. What does it mean? Old English word that means good news. That's the gospel. I have good news for you. And you don't have to have any doubts and you can allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you this morning. And you can say, you know what, if I had any doubts coming in, I don't have any doubts now. And if you just say, well, I've got a part of it, but I don't know the whole thing, you're going to know the whole thing before it's over. And there are four steps. Here we go. Step number one, recognize God's love. So here's the first part of John 3, 16. God so loved the world. It's not that we accept it just intellectually, emotionally. Okay, I believe that in my head. I understand emotionally. But God's love, God said, I want you to feel my love. I want you to be able to grasp the love that I have. It doesn't say he has love. It says he is love. And there is a big, big difference. That's God's nature. His nature is love. His character is love. He loves everything on the planet. And that's why you and I are alive. God created us in his image so that he might have a relationship with you and with me. And God's love isn't based on who you are, but it's based on who he is. In other words, you don't have to have the right resume, have the right intellect, the right GPA. It says, hey, I love you because of who I am. And so it says he sent his only begotten son. Well, how do we know that? First John, if we're going to take the Bible, and there are a lot of scriptures. By the way, in your folder today, you have this. It's actually the notes that says how to, how to get to heaven. Take a look at it and follow along. Right now, I'm on this page, not on this page. Here we go. 1 John 4, 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. He sent his son as a sacrifice to do what? To take away our sins. So there's something big about God sending his son saying, if you want your sins taken away, you have to grasp that central truth. He didn't just say that he loved us. He said, I want to show you that love. And that is illustrated out of the Bible, 1 John 3, verse number 1. What an incredible quality of love the Father has shown us that we should be permitted to be called and counted as the children of God. We are his children. God created us, never a baby born, but what God did not create it. God created everything. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, verse number 18, may you be able to feel and understand, here we go, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high God's love really is, and to experience this love for yourselves, not just understand it intellectually. Do you know God is love? Oh, yeah. God not only is love, but God understands, understand it intellectually. Here's where God's headed. He said, where I want to go is not just in your head. I want to get down in your heart, and I want you to experience what is called unconditional love. Well, we know that human love, you can break that. We understand that. There are four dimensions to God's love. We just heard it. How long, how wide, how deep, and how high. How long is God's love? That's what the Bible said. It is long enough to last forever. You will never get away from God's love for all of eternity. His love will last. Well, some love is broken. Well, I love you and love you and love you until you got a divorce and say, well, that's human love. You have items that you really, really love. And when you first got it, you really loved it and you love it and you love it. And now it's in the shed out back or at a rental center somewhere trying to store all your stuff. You see, that's important. You might have had, sir, when you were younger, oh, I love you. Every girlfriend you ever had, I love you, baby. I love you, baby. I got to tell you, all those other girls I dated, you are the best. I love you. And if they'd have ever gotten together to talk about you, they would have all came to the conclusion he lied to all of us. And there is nothing worse in the world than a bunch of women deciding to take aim at you. 
Well, now we're wondering how big that bunch was. And you ladies, the same way. I love you, sweetheart. I love you, darling, until he broke your heart. And you, you didn't let me. That's it. But here, hey, God's love, it never, never gives up on you. Well, God's love is wide enough to be everywhere. No matter where you go, his love is going to be there. How deep is God's love? It's deep enough to handle any problem you have. It's wide enough. It's deep enough to handle any problem. You might say, I'm in the pits. I've hit rock bottom, and it's difficult down here where I'm at. He says, hey, it doesn't matter how deep you go. My love is still down there underneath you to lift you up. How high is God's love? I love this one. It's high enough to overlook your mistakes. I mean, mistake after mistake after mistake doesn't matter what you've done, how long you did it. God said, if you surrender yourself to me, I love you. I not only will forgive you, I will forget that you ever sinned. Woo. That's got to be pretty good. We understand that. Somebody said, well, if I go to God, he might just rake me over the coals. You see, some people think that God is mad at them. God's not mad at you. God's mad about you. He loves you. He created you. He said, hey, come on and get over your stubbornness and trying to walk on your own. Come on over here and let me show how extravagantly I can, in fact, love you. Well, some people keep trying to mix God up intellectually, and then they try to build their life on a foundation that is not rock solid in the Lord. Because life changes. Your financial status changes. Your relationship changes. Your job changes, of course. Your fame changes. On one minute, you're a, you're a hero, and the next minute, you're a... Come on now, let's get back together. You kind of got quiet. One minute, you're a hero, and the next minute, you're a... A zero. Lady, turn to your husband or your boyfriend, or hopefully you know the person, and say, baby, you're, you're my hero. And you know what he's going to think? Yeah, and if I don't behave, I'll be a zero. <laughs> you know human love. God said, not for me. Not for me. 1 Peter 2, verse number 4 says, Come to Christ, who is the living foundation of rock, the cornerstone in which God builds. So I'm going to build my life on something rock solid. I'm not going to build my life on my skill set. I'm not going to build my life on my ingenuity or my wisdom. I'm not going to build it because, okay, family members had money. I'm not going to build it because I got some breaks in my life. I'm going to build it on a foundation that is rock solid, that no matter whether things are going my way or whether someone tells me to hit the highway, I'm going to build on that foundation that cannot be shaken if I am, in fact, a contributor to society and cannot be shaken, if I ever get to the place that I need society, my friends, to contribute to me, I want to build on that foundation that is, in fact, rock solid. You see, 2018 years ago, Easter weekend, here's what happened. When Jesus died, he rose again on Easter Sunday, and the Romans were so worried that somebody might take his body or that he might be resurrected. They'd heard enough of it that they decided to put him in a tomb that was a cave that had no back entrance or side entrance. It was a cavity in the side of a mountain. And they took a stone that weighed thousands of pounds, several couple thousand pounds, rolled it up, and they put the Roman seal on it. And the very first time in history, they placed the Roman centurion guards in front to stand there 24-7. I mean, worried about a dead man coming out of the tomb for the first time in history. Well, the problem is they didn't understand the promise of God. They didn't understand the Old Testament that said he'll be buried in a borrowed tomb. And Jesus taught them, and on the third day, I will die, but on the third day, I'm coming back to life. Amen? On the third day. They believed it enough. 
They believed it enough to put the strength of the Roman guards there. But all of a sudden, something that we cannot control, lightning flashed across the sky. Thunder roared, of course. It became darkened on the outside, and the stone rolled away, and the guards were blown back. And you say, well, did that happen so Jesus could get out of the tomb? By the time all that happened, my friend, he'd already gone. And when Mary and others came to look in the tomb, that's why it was open. They looked in and said, hey, everybody, he was here. The Roman guards were here, but they'd been so impacted. Some of them gave their heart to the faith in Christ Jesus. He's not here. He has risen and he's out of the tomb. That was a promise of the word of the living God. For God so loved the world is why he did it. Number two, you receive God's gift. It's right there in your notes. He gave his only begotten son. Well, what then? Step one, God so loved the world. Here's the gift. Here's the gift, his only begotten son. God loved the world to give you Jesus. That's why we give gifts at Christmas time, because God gave the first Christmas gift ever. He sent his son, came to earth was not as a roaring lion, not as a military giant, but as a baby, a baby, an innocent baby, so that no one would be afraid. But in the person of the baby, baby Jesus, was the power to forgive you of every sin you've ever committed, ever will commit in your entire life. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. He didn't come as a good man, as an angel, a prophet, or a moral or ethical leader. God said, I'm going to send you the very best that I have. And of course, when of course he was crucified, he split history in A.D. from B.C., and every time you write a date in 2018, it's a reference point to Jesus Christ. God came to this earth and he split history from B.C. and said, now it's A.D. Why did he come? It's important to understand. Romans 3.24, out of sheer generosity, God put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He said, I know how to get you out of that mess that you're in. And I'll restore you to what you should have been all along. He sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world so that you and I could be cleansed from our sin. A pure gift. And it comes through the power of grace. What is grace? Grace is when God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. Not what you need, but what you deserve. You see, if we got what we deserve, we'd have no hope. Because we just keep blowing it over and over and over again. Romans 5, verse number 6, Christ died for us, although we were living against him. Now, how in the world can you forgive somebody who you know is living against you, rebelling against you, but when you love eternal love? He said, I'm just going to show you love. And I'm going to believe that one day you'll understand the truth. And one day you'll understand you can't make it by yourself. And one day you'll understand that everybody's going to stand before the seat of judgment. And those that are non-believers are going to hear him say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. You had your whole life and you never took me up on my gift. And on those of you who did, I'm going to judge you for your works, what you did after you became a faithful servant of God. How did you do as it relates to Bible study and reading? You see... I, I want you to know there are no perfect people. That is the basic truth. John 3, 16, the basic, basic truth of God's Word. We've all blown it. The Bible says we've all sinned, all sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. But he says, hey, if you don't know what sin is, the wages of sin is what? Is death. The wages of sin is death. I was headed to Tampa the other day, and this guy in this Dodge Charger, I'm going to give you the color. Dodge Charger. I had my own policeman with me. It was Sharon in the passenger seat. <laughs> Just push play. You better slow down. Why did you change lanes? You better back off. 
there's a cop back there. No, that's a telephone truck with a flashing light on top. He's not coming after me yet. How many have one of your own? I mean, God bless me with one of my own. With this charger, I mean, and then right in front of him, I thought, Lord, I wish Sharon wasn't here. But I knew that God had me an angel in the car, amen? How many of you know I wouldn't have done a thing even if she were not in the car? Well, I guess the proof's in the pudding. Just let me tell you something. I get to drive home by myself after church today in my own car. But, buddy, he's going here and there, and I look back about six car lengths behind me, and I saw this white helmet. I thought, I hope that's a servant of the Lord with a badge. Well, that charge is doing this. All of a sudden, I saw that motorcycle cop. How many love policemen? Amen. Buddy, he comes out, and he's doing what that charger was doing. I thought, I wonder where he's headed. Got up there, pulled up behind that charger. Pulled him over. This was at exit number one. I-4 meets 275. Pulled him over. I, along with everybody else, slowed down. <laughs> How many of you know what it feels like? When you're the one outside having to do this. Hello. Did you know you were speeding? Well, I knew I was going kind of fast. Yeah, 25 miles over the speed limit. You see, I deserve, that's the, that's the punishment of man. You do that. Well, what happens if you don't pay any attention to the eternal one? What happens if you live your whole life, and like Michelle, a life and death situation hits you? What's you going to do then? I've been doing this a long time, and I've heard family members say, I hope they cried for mercy. I hope they had a chance to cry for mercy. I ask you this question. Why should anyone... Wait to the last second. After all the opportunities we have to cry out then. I don't discount that because I'm counting in a lot of cases for that to be true. But why would you have to wait that long? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, God took the sinless Christ and he poured him into our sins. Then in exchange he poured God's goodness into us. He took our sins and poured his goodness in. Heaven is a perfect place. So those of us, if you're imperfect, you can't go to heaven. If it did, heaven would not be perfect anymore. So we have to have that infusion of forgiveness that God's goodness is poured into us. And we'll never be good enough, but he makes us good enough. You know you cannot work your way into heaven. You can't buy your way into heaven. It's simply a gift that you receive it in Jesus' name. It's the simplicity that God so loved the world. It is the basics that he gave his son. And if we believe him, it's grace. It's free grace. God says, I want to give you grace. Romans eleven six. Since salvation is by grace, then it's no longer by works. If it were by works, grace would no longer be grace. There is a difference between religion and salvation. Religion is head knowledge. I've got a dose of religion. Most people do have a dose of religion. Religion is not going to get you into heaven. But salvation will. Having a head knowledge of God or a God 
is not going to get it, but having a heart relationship with the Lord. And it doesn't matter whether you're Protestant, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, no matter how you are raised. And most of those religions have, have one word, do. If you do this, if you do this, you got to do, if you do 15 things, 10 things, 5 things, religion is based on the do. Salvation is based on done. He died for you, and if you ask him, he will forgive you of your sins because he has paid the price already. There is nothing else that needs to be done. The passion of the Christ, the passion of the Christ, the movie, some of you remember that. You know that Jesus was in the garden, and he was praying, and he was in agony. And we know that he went beyond that, and he experienced the physical torture that was there, the physical torture that was difficult. That physical torture was not the big thing, my friend, that related to the physical part he could manage, but it was the spiritual part, because all the guilt of the world was on his hands. How many have ever felt guilty and you had a reason to be guilty because you did something wrong. Do you know how that, how that can make you not sleep well? You know how feeling guilt, knowing you did something wrong, and you perpetrated a crime or a wrong deed, and you told somebody off, and just feel that guilt? Jesus said, I want the guilt of everyone. I want your guilt. I don't want you to have to have it anymore. Here's number three, respond to God's offer. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. First, recognize God's love. God so loved the world. Two, receive the gift. He gave his son, his only begotten son, and then you respond, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whosoever believes in him should not perish. You shouldn't perish. You believe in him. Well, over and over the Scripture God says, if you do this, that he'll honor you. You serve him and faithful to him, he'll bless your finances. True to your marriage, he'll bless your marriage. Whoever believes on him should not perish. Titus 2.11 says, the free gift of eternal salvation right now is being offered to every one. Right now, think about it. You will never be able to say ever in your life consciously that you never heard a salvation message. You'll never be able to say ever justifiably that you've never heard the truth. You just did. Paul writes in Colossians 3.11, one's nationality or race or education or social position is unimportant. Such things mean nothing. Whether a person has Christ is what matters. And he is equally available to every one. So it makes no difference of what religion you profess. God is available to everyone. Why? Paul steps to the plate, an astute person of the law. In Romans 3.22, God says he will accept us and acquit us. Declare us not guilty if we trust Jesus Christ to take away our sins. And we all can be saved in the same way by coming to Christ, no matter who we are or what we've been like. Trust Him. You know what I found out? That most of the time you don't trust people you don't know. You know that? You don't trust people you don't know. I tell you what, why don't you give me $500? I don't know you from Adam. You want me to give you $500? I don't think so. Well, what about uh, $250? I don't know you. I'm not giving you $250. Well, how about $25? I don't know you. Now, if you're impatient, you might give him the 25 and you got a pocket full of money just to get out of your way. Well, I don't know you. How about $2.50? Well, that's worth moving you on. But let me ask you this question. The most important thing you have 
is eternity. Your soul. What are you going to do with that? Jesus said, I redeemed you, but you have to. Trust me. Just trust me. The Greek word trust is trust in, cling to, rely on, adhere to, commit yourself to. You begin to trust God in every area of your life, in your finances, in your family, in your relationship, in your talents. I trust you, Lord. I don't know about this, but I trust you, Jesus. I trust you with my business. I trust you. How many of you women out there, you know your husband so well, you pretty well know what he's thinking by the look on his face. May I see your hand? How many of you men tried and tried and tried <laughs> and you still don't know what she's thinking sometimes? That's right. And you won't ever know it. That's how God created her. She is, she is high, high, high in technological ability. There are things about your woman, your wife, my friend, that's so beyond, sir, your ability to understand it. If she ever showed her stuff, you would leave like a whimped dog. But she reserves all that ingenuity. Until the time she walks by your casket. So Jesus is saying, I'm here. You know him. Michelle had a new experience in her healing. She came to realize that he's not only her redeemer, he's her healer. My brother, who's been in church our whole life, came to find out that he not only is a healer, he is a miraculous healer. In Romans 3.24, it says, We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Justified. What does it mean? Justified means just as if I'd never sin. Justification, just as if I had never sinned. It's not only forgiveness, but he forgets any sin you've ever committed. He will never remind you of a sin you've committed. Isn't that the kind of love that we'd all appreciate and enjoy? The word redemption is to buy somebody else's freedom. To buy someone, hey, I bought you and set you free. And that's exactly what he did. Years and years ago in some countries today, they still practice slave trade. But unfortunately, many years ago, there was slave trade. And you'd put a poor person who would stand on that auction block and they'd bid off to the highest bidder. And that person would step down and say, now, now I'm your slave. You bought me. But thank God Jesus said you were on the auction block. The enemy put you up there. And I gave the highest bid. I sent my son to redeem you. Now I paid the price for you. And I didn't pay the price so you could be my slave. I paid the price to set you free. All you have to do is say you love me. You are free to do whatever it is you choose. Free. Absolutely free. By the grace of God. No more. And then finally, this is number four. It's extremely important. Rely on God's promise. Rely on his promise. How many of you sometimes are real stinkers? I don't mean, you know, I mean just real stinkers. How many has got a mischievous part uh, in you? How many of you intend to do something today on April Fool's Day you haven't done yet? Let me see your hand. You're going to pull some kind of a prank. I could pull one right now and say, let's stand, give the benediction. You may go. But I'm a sanctified man, and that is not going to happen yet. Rely on God's promise. 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know you were made to last forever. One day your heart's going to stop, but it won't be the end of you. You're going to live some weather in he- some, either in heaven or in hell. And this is what Jesus says. I'm going to spend forever with you, not apart from you. I created you. My best creation was you. And I have prepared a place so that where I am, you can be also. So if you receive my gift, Jesus, your life will forever be more secure. It will be more stable. And all the promises of a good life with peace will be yours. You don't say, I'm going to ignore you, God, my entire life, and then at the end, by the way, I need to come spend eternity with you. That's not who you are. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, we're now members of God's own family, and God has reserved for his children the priceless gift of eternal life, and it's kept in heaven for you. And God will make sure that you get there safely to receive it because you are trusting in him. And that really becomes the issue, that you are learning to trust in him. Pilate made this statement. They had beaten Jesus to a pulp. Pilate, of course, was the governor of Judea. And he had a decision to make, and this was the question. What shall I do with Jesus? I could sneak him out the back secretly. He's been beaten enough. Because in Pilate's heart of hearts, he knew there was something genuine about Jesus. But he saw that angry mob, and he saw the political process. What shall I do with Jesus? It says he gave them up because they screamed, crucify him. But that is the real question this morning for all of us, right here, right now. What shall I do with Jesus? What shall I do if I know my life is a mess and if I know that I have a head knowledge and I know in my heart of hearts I'm not living right? I mean, let's just make it that simple. I'm not living right. I'm not living right, and I don't know if I can ever live right. And you're right. Until you take God's hand, you will never be able to make the kind of decisions that takes you to a better life. And you'll never be able to do it. Here's the beautiful thing. God is not saying to you and me, well, you go out there and you get all cleaned up and then you come back. No, he says, just as I am. You come just like you are. Here's what God knows. He knows you're not perfect. He knows you're still going to make mistakes. He knows you're still going to make a mess of things from time to time. But here's one thing that he will not forget. There was a time in your life, a moment at Victory Church on Easter Sunday, 2018, that you said yes to him. And from that moment on, you reached up and you took his hand. It makes no difference how deep you go, he's there. It makes no difference how far away you might travel, he's there. It makes no difference how high you may go, he's there. Because his promise is he'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. And my friend, you can leave this room today. Romans 8, 23, we wait for that day when God will give us his full rights as children, including the new bodies he has promised us, bodies that will never be sick again and will never die. That's what I want for you. Would you stand, please? Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Bear with me a few more minutes. I'm going to ask you to let's look at our text. Bear with me, please. It's one of the most critical times of the services right now. 
Let's look at our text, the basic text again. Would you let's read it again on three? One, two, three. Everybody, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you believe that, say amen. 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 Let's bow our heads. I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and I'm going to ask everybody listening, whether you're online listening or you're in the house today, to just repeat this prayer. If you're an unbeliever and you say, I've never prayed this kind of prayer, well, isn't it time? And what are you doing? You're just simply saying, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm, I'm giving you my misunderstanding. I'm giving you my weakness. And I'm giving you um, a messed up life or I'm giving you a good life. I've never done anything really bad, but this thing about eternity, I want to be sure about that. Maybe you have been living for Jesus sometimes and you're going to pray it. You know what you're going to do? You're just going to reaffirm what you already believe. And you're saying again, God, I'm humbled enough to just continually ask you forgiveness. Would you repeat this, please, everybody? Dear Jesus, Jesus, I have sinned. I've I've made a mess mess of my life. life. I have hurt other people. people. I've been stubborn. I've been been difficult. I have been been single-minded and desiring my own way. way. But today, today, I I realize someone loves me more than I could ever love anybody else. So remove my sins. I believe you died to allow me to ask you to forgive me. So take my heart and take my life. I place my hand in your hand. Never let me go. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that, don't you? For those of you who prayed that prayer, you may have repeated the prayer and say, I needed to pray that prayer. I have a book that we want to give you. It's written by Rick Warren. What on earth am I here for? It's the purpose-driven life, just questions that it's simply asking. One is, uh, you're not an accident. You can read it. It's just this thick. Another, of course, is who drives your life? Who's the driver in your life? Another is something very, very, very simple that relates to all of us. And I think it's important. You are made to last forever and explains that. As a matter of fact, this right here has enough information to get you to think differently about a lot of things. And it's all based on this book. So we're going to sing this song. I told David and the team, Billy Graham sang it at every altar time. People would come down. And I want to sing it this morning together. If you want the book, you come down and get the book. We'll gift it to you right here. If you have a family member that's here and they're a little, well, I don't know, you just come with them. i give you the book. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give the benediction in a moment. I want to ask you to come down and just get your gift right now, just as Jesus gave us his gift. Would you do that? You need it? Pray the prayer. You come right now. Would you do that? Here we go.